There's a verse in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 that says, and I want you to make this personal. It says, unto him who loved us, Jesus, and washed us from our sins with his own blood. Now, I want you to think of what that says to you, that Jesus loved you, and that if you are his child, he personally washed you from your sin with his own blood. I just saw that verse a few months ago, and God overwhelmed me at how personal Jesus is to each one of us and how precious his blood being applied to us. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Well, what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that washes white as snow. You know, we're living in a troubled world. Let me make it personal. We're living in a troubled nation, in a troubled world. Christians are becoming increasingly aware that God is responding, that God is responding to what's going on in this troubled world. And is going to respond in a powerful way. It's not like God doesn't know what's going on. But you need to understand that God, in God's time, even now in the heavenlies and in other ways, God is at work. Increasingly at work. It is a tragedy that a few months, a few weeks ago, we lit up the White House with the colors of a rainbow. What a tragedy. And then on top of that, when they finished the, the tower where the two towers used to be, and they raised up one tire, tower, the highest tower there is, and had a spire on the top. Guess what they did? They lit up the tower with the colors of the rainbow. You know what Jonathan Kahn, God's prophet in our day, said? We mocked God. That's exactly what we did. We mocked God. Well, you need to be reminded what Galatians 6, 7 says. You know what it says? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. It's like America has sown to the wind and is going to reap the whirlwind. Don't think that things are just going to continue as they are. You do not mock God. Next week, the Lord willing, next Sunday, the Lord willing, I'm going to preach a message on the message of the rainbow. And you'll be amazing how precious the rainbow is to God, but how it's been misused now to mock God. But you know, what I want to do today is in these troubled times, I want, I want to encourage you on how to live in spiritual power. You see, God takes care of his children. 
And if God's children walk with him, then they hear God's voice and they're led by God's spirit. Now, when a true word is spoken that the judgment of God is among us or coming, it doesn't strike fear in the heart of God's children because God is our father and we love him and he loves us. And when someone speaks of you don't mock God and walk away from it, well, that doesn't cause us to, to be afraid. It causes us to say in the midst of whatever God does, God will speak to us, God will use us, and maybe in the midst of judgment, there can be a great revival. So it's no reason for God's people to ever walk in fear. Fear is not of God. Amen? Not of God. Reverence, the fear of the Lord and reverence and awe of him is good, but to be afraid is not. But let me ask you a question. In these days in which we're living, how do you live in spiritual power in troubled times? What's the key? Now, here's the deal. What's the key to hearing God's voice? There are many voices out there. How do you, how do you hear God's voice? And there are many people say, go this way or go that way. How, how, how can you be led by God's spirit? See, There won't be confusion. There won't be chaos in our lives if we hear God's voice and are led by God's spirit. And you know how you do that? It's not hard. The Bible's full of it. A believer, a Christian, a child of God, the most important thing in your life is your fellowship with God. It is more important than anything else. If you, as a child of God, are living in daily fellowship with God, are you listening? You will hear his voice, and you will be led by his spirit. But if for some reason we're not in fellowship with God, if for some reason the Holy Spirit in us is grieved, or the Holy Spirit in us is quenched, then we will not be able to hear the voice of God and be led by the Spirit of God. So I want to underline it. I want to underline it twice. I want to underline it three times. The most important thing in your life is your daily fellowship with the living God. Now, the Bible says that. In 1 John chapter 1, I want you to notice what it talks about, how important our fellowship is with God. And, and, and they say, listen, let me, we t- we've seen Jesus and we want to tell you about it. I'm reading in verse 1. It's on the screen if you don't, and have your Bible if you want to open to it. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, Jesus. We have seen him with our eyes. We have looked upon him. Our hands have handled concerning the word of life. We heard him, we saw him. We touched Jesus, is what they're saying. We, we handled him, the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, Jesus, which was with the Father and has been manifested unto us. Now listen at this. That which we have seen, Jesus, that which we have heard, 
This is verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. Why? Listen to this. That we may, you may have fellowship with us. We're telling you, we heard Jesus, we saw Jesus, we touched Jesus, and we're telling you all this so you can have fellowship with us. Well, what kind of fellowship? And our fellowship is with the Father and through his Son, Jesus Christ. He said, we want to tell you everything we heard Jesus say and saw Jesus do so, so you can have fellowship with us, with him, uh, with the Father, through him. He said, fellowship. And he said in verse 4, these things we have spoken to you that you joy may be full. All right, now verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say, now get this, well, I'm having fellowship with God, but we walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So if we walk in fellowship with God, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with him. Wonderful. We have fellowship with God through Jesus. We hear his voice. He's led, we're led by his spirit. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ goes on cleansing us from all sin. He said, man, God is light. So we say, we, I'm, we're not going to walk in the darkness. We're going to walk in the light. And we're going to have fellowship with him. And as we walk in the light and have fellowship with him, the blood of Jesus Christ goes on cleansing us from all sin. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves in the truth is not in us. So the most important thing in your life and mine, as a Christian, as a believer, in one whom Jesus lives, is to live in fellowship with God every day. To not let anything break our fellowship. I'm going to mention five things. The first one is, I'm going to spend more time on, five things that are vital to walking in fellowship with God. Because I'm going to tell you something. I don't have to know what the future holds if I know the one who holds the future. And if I'm in fellowship with him, hey, I'll hear his voice and he'll be, I'll be led by his spirit. And that's true of you. You know, in order to live in fellowship with God and, 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 and walk in the light, the first thing that we have to do, and I'm going to spend a little more time on this than the other, we have to deal thoroughly Deal thoroughly with any sin in our life. We just have to deal thoroughly with it. Did you know that nothing can break your fellowship with God? Sickness can't break your fellowship with God. Tribulation can't break your fellowship with God. Persecution can't break your fellowship with God. There's nothing that can break your fellowship with God if you are a child of God but sin. That's the only thing that can do it. And so as long as my sins are confessed up to date, as long as there's no known sin in my life, and if there is known sin and I don't deal with it, then it's rebellion. As long as we have dealt with our sins thoroughly, and as far as we know, 
There's nothing in our life of the darkness that is quenching the Holy Spirit and grieving the Holy Spirit, then we're in fellowship with God because the only thing that can break your fellowship with God is sin. Whether it's a sin of commission, what you do, or sin of omission, what you don't do. You know, um, God is faithful to with his children. Let me tell you the good news. Light exposes. Now, when you came in here, all these lights are on. But what if there wasn't one light on? Now, you come, you, 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 the lights are on, and you can see all these uh, communion trays right here. But what if you came in here and all the lights were off? You, you wouldn't be able to see them. They're here. But you wouldn't be able to see them because it was dark. You see, the light of God shines in the life of his children. We're walking in the light, and the light exposes. Light exposes. And the beautiful thing about it is it'll expose anything in our life that is darkness. It'll penetrate it. And so what the light exposes, this, this is the way God, this is the way you deal with sin in your life. There is conviction. That comes from the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that when the Holy Spirit has come, Jesus said, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So whenever there's sin in my life, the light of God shines on it, and he convicts me. Okay? Conviction leads to confession. 1 John 1, 9, this same chapter says, if we confess our sin." He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Now, the word confess in the Greek means to agree. God shines some light. The light of God is shining into my heart, and it shines on something that is sinful. And God, the Spirit of God convicts me. He convicts me, and I know it's sin. And I say, I agree with you. I agree with you, Lord. I agree with you. It is a sin. You know what I did? I just confessed it. That's what confession means. To agree with God. And if we confess our sins, now here's the good news. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I see conviction, confession, and cleansing. And he says, if we confess our sins, faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, wash them away. Over in in, in 1 John chapter 2, Uh, verse 1, it says, my little children, I'm writing to you, don't sin. Now, the word little children is an affectionate term for Christians. Hey, my my, my Christian brothers and sisters, I'm writing unto you not to sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, one who pleads our case. And he's a propitiation substitute sin bearer for our sins and not for ours only but for the sins of the whole world did you know that as a child of God when when a Christian sins and the spirit of God convicts them and and they confess it Jesus pleads our case we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous and he's the substitute provision for our sin and not for ours only but for the sins of the whole world so in these days we got to walk in fellowship with God so we can hear his voice, and so we can do his will. Be led by his spirit. So when the Holy Spirit convicts us, 
There is to be confession. We're to agree with God that it is a sin. And then there is to be cleansing. Now, let, let me say something. The Bible says that conviction produces a godly sorrow. Uh, over in, in 2 Corinthians 7, it tells us that, con, uh, that conviction produces a godly sorrow. I want you to look in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 9, and I want to show you the difference between godly sorrow that leads to cleansing and worldly sorrow that leads to death. It says here, now in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 7, now I say to you, brethren, verse 9, now rejoice, not that you were made sorry, they were broken, they were sorry, but that your sorrow led you to repent, to turn around, to quit doing what you were doing. He, he, he said, I'm not rejoicing that you were made sad or sorry, but I am glad that that sorrow led you to turn away from your sin and your sorrow led you to, to go in another direction. Now rejoice that you were, not that you were made sorrow, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For, for you were made sorry in a godly manner that in, you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Here it is. Godly sorrow produces repentance. It causes you to change. It causes you to turn away from the sin. You confess the sin and you go right back and do it. You confess it and go right back and do it. You confess it and you go right back and do it. You confess it and you go right back and do it. There's no godly sorrow. There's no repentance. It says here, godly sorrow produces repentance. You confess the sin and you turn away from it. You confess the sin and you walk away from it. Godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but get this. The sorrow of the world produces death. There's a worldly sorrow. You know, over the years, people have come to me under deep conviction of sin, and I saw in their lives a brokenness, a godly sorrow. They knew they'd sinned against God. These, these were believers. They knew they'd sinned against God, and that godly sorrow had broken their hearts, and man, I knew that they were, they were, they were, going, they were, they were not, they were not going to go back where they were. They were not going to keep living like they were because that godly sorrow had caused them to, to, to change the direction of their heart and to move in another direction. But you know, I've had many people come, and they didn't really want to be there, but they say, well, I messed up, Brother Fred, and I sure am sorry. You know, they, they weren't sorry that they sinned against God. They were sorry they got caught. They weren't sorry that they'd sinned against God. They were sorry for what their sin cost them. Oh, yeah. That's a worldly sorrow. Oh, how many people, oh, well, I know I shouldn't have done that, and I'm so sorry that I did that. Don't say one thing to God. Don't say one thing about God. And then they just go right on. See, that's worldly sorrow, and it'll lead to death. It does not produce a change in your life. So you have to deal thoroughly with sin. And, and that is a godly sorrow that produces repentance that leads unto fellowship with God. Hey, by the way, David really sinned. But you know, he was forgiven, and God changed him, and he began to live a better life than he did before he messed up. 
But you know why David, God didn't give up on David? In Psalm 51, he said, he said, I acknowledge my transgressions. David's praying. He'd committed adultery. He'd sent Uriah to the fur of the battle and he'd been murdered. And he'd lied. He said, I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. I'm under conviction, Lord. And then he says, here's godly sorrow against you, Lord. And you only have I sinned. But David, you sinned against Bathsheba. You sinned against Uriah. He said, but you don't understand. I sinned against God. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be clear when you speak and blameless when you judge. I know I spent a considerable amount of time on this, but I want you to understand the only thing that can keep you from living in fellowship with God is that you don't deal thoroughly with sin in your life. And if you'll deal with it, God will cleanse you. He'll wash it away. And I'm telling you, you're restored and you can move on. You don't have to work your way back. You come back quickly through the blood of Christ. But you've got to deal thoroughly with sin. Now, I've got to say this. You've got to know the difference. Now, this will help you between conviction and condemnation. You see, the devil is a condemner. In fact, one of his names is he's the accuser of the brethren. Not lost people. He's the accuser of the brethren. So, he loves to accuse Christians. So you feel like, well, something's wrong in my life. Something's wrong. Something's not right with me and God. Something's not right with me and God. Something's wrong. It's kind of like a cloud. And you say, Lord, what is it? What is it? I, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know why I seem to have this cloud. Well, what's my problem? God doesn't say anything. He doesn't say anything. You know what that is? That's condemnation. It's coming from the enemy. It's not coming from God. Because listen to me. If you get this, it'll save you a lot of heartache. Anytime God convicts a person, he's specific. Well, Lord, what did I do wrong? I'm not going to tell you. Oh, no. Lord, what did I do wrong? He said, that's exactly what you did. He names it. And so remember, condemnation is general. It's just a feeling, and it's straight out of hell. But conviction is specific. God puts his finger on the sin, and once you confess it, it's gone. You're not condemned anymore. You don't feel condemned. You're cleansed. You're forgiven. And so don't you live under a cloud of condemnation, but you be quick to respond with, to conviction with godly sorrow that leads you to turn away from sin. I said, man, you sure made a lot of time on this. You know why? Because the rest of what I'm going to say is not even important if you don't get this. The only thing that can break your fellowship with God is unconfessed sin. Well, here are the other four. I'm just going to name them. If you're going to walk in daily fellowship with the Lord, you've got to deal thoroughly with sin. And this is going to kind of surprise you. Uh, you can't... Uh, you can never own anything. If you're going to be in fellowship with God, not only have you deal thoroughly with sin, but you can't ever own anything. You say, what do you mean, Brother Fred? I mean what I said. You can't ever own anything. Let me give you some verses. Did you know the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 
Verse 19, what does it say? It says, uh, it'll be up on the screen. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And you're not your own, for you have been bought with a price. He said, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. And, 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 and he said, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God, which means that we're not our own. All that we are and all that we have belongs to God. It all belongs to God. He is Lord, and he has ownership over us and everything in our life. You know, in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Paul talks about that he didn't, he didn't own anything. He said, sometimes I have a lot, but I don't, most of the time I don't have anything, but it doesn't matter. It says, here it is, in Philippians 4, 11, now I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. He said, now listen, well, that's, that's a big statement, isn't it? It doesn't matter what my, where I'm at and what's going on in my life, I'm content. 95% of the people I know are not content. And you're looking at one of them. I mean, are you really content with your circumstances in life? Or is there always something to say, it's got to be better, you've got to have more? He said, I've learned that whatever condition I'm in to be content. He said, I know how to be abased. I know to have, how to have nothing. I know how to have bound. I know how to have everything. He says, I know what it is to be in the pit, and I know what it is to be in the valley. I mean, in the mountain. I know how to be abased. I know how to bound. Everywhere in all things, I've learned to be full, to be hungry, and to abound, and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The devil could not do anything with Paul because he'd go to Paul and threaten him, Paul, and said, I am going to take away everything you have. He says, go ahead. I don't have nothing. And then go to Paul and say, listen, if you'd quit following Jesus, I'll give you everything. He said, I don't need anything. I've got everything. How do you threaten a man who doesn't have nothing but yet has everything? You know, I want to say this. In America, you know, materialism is a part of life, and we accumulate stuff. Have you got a lot of stuff? Try cleaning, try cleaning out your closet. I mean, it'll drive you crazy. I couldn't wear the clothes I've got if I lived to be 105. <laughs> well, I just accumulated them over the years. Or well, won't you throw them away? Oh, I might need them. You can't ever tell. But just let me say something. I had a man say this to me one time. He said, Fred, the Bible doesn't say anything. That there's nothing. The Bible doesn't say any, it's wrong to have things. It, the Bible doesn't speak against having things as long as they're the right things. He said, but the problem is you can't ever let things have you. Now, see, you might have some, some nice things. That's okay as long as they don't have you. As long as if God tells you, I want you to get rid of that. You say, I ain't getting rid of that. That's my stuff. No. Let me tell you something. You can't ever own anything. I've told this story, and I, I can't take long telling it, but i got to tell you. We, we moved on Lantern Lane when we first moved here in 1972. 
Then three years later, like nomads, we built a house on Lindale Drive. Mr. Stacy sold us a lot for $3,000. And Ben Martin built us a 2,700-square-foot home for, for $55,000, y'all, in 1975. And it was a beautiful home. And it had my first study in it, my first study. It wasn't a big one, you know. It was right next to the washing machine. But at least it was a study. <laughs> at least it was a study. And I said, Lord, I hope you never ask me to move because I love this house and I love my study. I just hope you'll never ask me to move. Don't you tell God that. I'm telling you right. Don't you dare tell him that. One day I was riding to work. He said, I want you to sell your house and move. I said, I'll tell you one thing. If I tell my wife that, I'll be looking for another wife. I mean, I can't do that. <laughs> but he wouldn't let up on me. I said, God, it's a great house. It didn't cost much. It's a great location. Why in this world? He said, listen, I want you to know, I want you to sell that house. And finally, I knew God wasn't kidding. I did, and I did not understand it. I thought, maybe I'm losing my mind, but it wouldn't go away. But then I said, okay. I'll sell it, and I'll let it go. And he said, keep it. <laughs> he said, as long as it belonged to you, it was your idol. But if you give it up, then I'll let you have it. Don't be in a position where anything has you. To walk in fellowship with God, you have to deal thoroughly with your sin, and you can never own anything. Here's the third thing. Don't ever pass on something that would hurt a brother or sister. Don't ever do that. See, if you're going to pass on something about a person that would hurt them, then don't, don't do that because that will grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible made it clear in Matthew 7. You know, he says, and it will be on the screen. I want you to notice this. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, he said, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. I'm just going to look it up and read it. It says, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Now, you know what judgment is? It's passing judgment when you don't have the facts. Well, I think, well, I heard, I, I, I thought, no, 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 no. It, you, you can't, you ain't there going to go in a courtroom if you ain't got the facts says, judge not that you be not judged. With what judgment you judge, you will be judged. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? Now, G Jesus, he had a way of making it vivid. He said, you know, you can see the speck in your brother's eye, but you can't even see the telephone pole in your eye. It says plank, but it sounds to me like a telephone. He said, boy, you look at that speck in his eye. What about the telephone pole in your eye? So why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck in your eye when you look, look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank, the telephone pole from your eye, and then you'll be clear, see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know what Galatians says we're to do with our brothers and sisters? I'm just going to give you these two verses. Don't ever pass on something that will hurt somebody. Don't do that. Well, why would you pass on something that would hurt another brother or sister? Why would you do that? 
Galatians 6, 1 says, if a brother is overtaken in a fault, you you who are spiritual, restore them. Now listen to this. If a brother is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore them in a spirit of humility and meekness, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. You, You could get in the same place he is. And then it goes on in the next verse and says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know what we do when we see something in a brother or sister's life that it's obvious? We've taken care of the pole in our own eye and we obvious that they're overtaken in a fall. So what do we do with We pray for them. We seek to restore them in a spirit of meekness because we say, but for the grace of God, that would be me. For the grace of God, that would be me. And so what we do, we have a spirit of restoration. We have the same spirit of Jesus, a spirit of redemption. And when we see something in a brother or sister's life, we don't pass on that which would hurt them. No, in a spirit of meekness, we love them and seek to restore them because we want to help them bear that burden. But for the grace of God, that's where you or I would be. You know, they, they, you know we've heard this before. That, uh, and I don't like the word Christians because I don't think this is a, a good way to say it. But they say that uh, religious people shoot their own wounded. You know, do you, I, love the, I love the saying of the Marines, no one left behind. I like that. I hadn't thought about it. I think of my brothers and sisters in Christ sitting out there in front of me. I don't know what's going on in your life. But if it's not good, I want you to know one thing. We're not going to judge you. We ain't going to judge you. You know what we're going to do? We're going to love you. And we're going to, in the spirit of meekness, we're going to ask God to help us restore you because we don't want anybody to be left behind. Not one person in here. But, Brother Fred, I've sinned grievously. Hey, we've all sinned grievously. My God, if we can't have compassion on one another, knowing that we fight the same devil and we live in the same hellish world, and we're all fighting for our lives by the power of God. If we can't help each other when we are in need, God have mercy on us. Our religion is in vain. No one left behind. That's it. No one left behind. And I promise you, if you come to me or any of our, I know our people, if you come to them hurting, They're not going to condemn you. They're not going to put you down. You know what they say? How can I help you? How can I help you? How can I help you get beyond that? What can we as a church do? Let me tell you something. That is the spirit of Jesus. If Jesus had not had that spirit, he would have booted Peter out of the church before he ever got in it. Right? Peter had it wrong 80% of the time. But God can change people, can he? Well, here's a fourth thing. Uh, Heed the words of Jesus. Now, if you're going to be in fellowship, deal thoroughly with your sin, never own anything, never pass on anything to hurt a brother or sister. Heed Heed the words of Jesus. 
And I'm just going to give you two verses. Be full of the word of God. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. The devil came and said, command these stones be made to bread. Now, this is a word from God for you to be in fellowship. He said this, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus said, you be full of the word of God. Now, a part of fellowship with God is feeding on his word, feeding on it, feeding on it. More important than the newspaper, a lot more important than the nightly news. I'm telling you, I mean, you know, the devil loves to keep people away from the Bible. He'll give you a thousand things to do when you're going to read your Bible. He'll get you distracted. He don't want you to read the Bible. He doesn't want it. He's afraid of it. He's scared of it. It's the sword of the Spirit. Heed the word of Jesus. You can't live by bread alone, but you've got to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then he said, you've got to pray. And it's in Luke chapter 11, verse 5. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to paraphrase it. A man had some people come to visit him unexpected. And he didn't have any bread. So he went to see his neighbor. Jesus said this, Luke 11. This, his neighbor was asleep. He said, knocked again. He said, what are you doing knocking to me? I'm in the bed and the kids are in the bed with me. Leave me alone, will you? man kept knocking. He said, all I want you to do is to give me a loaf of bread. I've had some people come to visit and I ain't got anything to give them. He, he said, it ain't because I want to, but I'll get up from here and I'll give you a loaf of bread just to get you off my back. And Jesus said, now that's the way a neighbor acted. He said, but now, if you have a need, he said, just knock. And just keep on knocking. And then he said, you know what he said in the next verse after that? Ask. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it. Keep on asking. It'll be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find it. Keep on knocking and the door will be open. If you don't, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? So if you're going to live in fellowship with God, listen to the words of Jesus. You can't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And He says, listen. Keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking. Your father is a good father, and he gives good gifts to those who pray. All right, and here's the last one. Don't ever accept any glory. You know, that's one of the problems with modern religion. We've got too many superstars. I want to tell you one thing. There's only one star, and it's the bright and morning star, and his name is Jesus. Let's don't magnify men, glorify men, exalt men. Let's glorify the Son of God. <laughs> By the, you know, any man of God, who, and when someone encourages them, and people need to be encouraged, he said, but you need to understand, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I don't have one thing that I did not get from God. So why should I ever glory in it as if it came from me? Let me tell you something. The Bible says no flesh shall glory in his presence. The Bible says God shares his glory with no man. And so let's don't get our eyes on men and let's don't exalt men. Let's honor the men of God and honor the prophet of God. But listen, let's don't look to them. Let's give God the glory. You know the thing I love about Jonathan Kahn? First of all, he's 
one of the two true prophets I've heard in my lifetime. David Wilkerson was the first one. Leonard Ravenhill was a revivalist and in some ways a prophet. But Jonathan Kahn is by far uh, the most prophetic man. He's humble. He never mentions money. He's all about Jesus. He's all about glorifying God. And three, four years ago, you'd never heard his name. He was just a saved Jew, pastoring a little church up there. And all of a sudden, he saw the hand of God. And when the towers went down and wrought the harbingers, and God supernaturally had the book printed, and then it's gone all over the world, the bestseller. And now he, God has raised him up as a voice crying in the wilderness. And if you don't think he's of God, you just listen to what he said to the Congress when he addressed it. You just listen to what he said when he spoke before the United Nations. I'll tell you what he did. He, he, he made Isaiah look like he was a meek and mild. He made Jeremiah look like he was afraid. He's the boldest man I've ever seen. He's bold. And when he, when he speaks, I listen. Because he hears from God. But I guarantee you, he wouldn't touch the glory of God. Oh, no. Oh, no. He wouldn't touch the glory of God because he knows that no flesh is glory in his presence. And he would be nowhere if it wasn't for the grace of God who raised up a nobody and made him somebody who would only give God the glory for what God had done in his life and is doing in this world. Never accept any glory. Give all glory, honor, and praise to the Lamb of God.